The Drive on TSN 1200. AJ Jackubek, Chris Stevenson, Cam Clement. Here's what you need to know today. Ottawa Senators are off today as they uh, hang around beautiful downtown Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Getting set to face the Oilers tomorrow night. Right now, six back of the Islanders for the last playoff spot. They do have two games in hand. Uh, There's just one other game tonight involving teams around them in the standings of the three tonight, and that has Buffalo at Toronto. Meantime, at the GM meetings, not much new today as Bill Daly met the media and said that they are going through the process of the different bids right now. Jimmy Garoppolo has signed a three-year deal with the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, The Chargers might have to move Austin Eckler, who's eyeing a trade after extension talks have stalled there. And Miami has added a backup quarterback, two-year deal for former New York Jets QB, Mike White. Canada trying to go 2-0 at the World Baseball Classic. They play the United States tonight. Americans looking their Wounds after a tough loss to Mexico yesterday. And two in the Eastern Ontario Junior Hockey League tonight. Athens at Perth, Smiths Falls at Arnprior. Packers and Blue Wings both up 3-1 in their respective series. And that is what you need to know today. You also need to know that you could be a prize winner at 750 if you are caller 15 right now, 750-1200, uh, if you're caller 15, you will win a daily Cafe Italiano dining vouchers for two, plus event access to the official Ottawa Senators watch party that's at the Rideau Carlton Casino on March 25th. You can watch the Sens away game against Carolina, Mark Mathot. Will be in attendance as sends alumni seven five zero twelve hundred now taking caller fifteen. All right, Chris Stevenson. I mean, we've talked about various senators' issues, but we have not really focused on yesterday's game. What did you see yesterday with the five uh, one loss to the Calgary Flames? I saw the November Senators. Lack of attention to detail defensively. Lack of finish. And this this seems to characterize their play whenever it does get down to, like, legitimate crunch time. November when... I, I was kind of looked side-eye. When I heard those comments about we want to be playing meaningful games in March for a team that had gotten off to two horrible starts, this franchise's meaningful games have been in October and November for the last couple of years. And they've come up horribly short, came up horribly short again this year. That's why they find themselves in the situation they are now. Whenever that pressure internally or externally, and let's face it, there was a lot of internal pressure. It's that that was the messaging that was coming out of the senators' camp. Even before I remember having the general manager on, heading into the trade deadline last year. And that was the messaging at that point was we can't afford to get off to another bad start. What what do we need to do? And maybe that's bringing in some pieces at this trade, trade deadline that are not rentals, 
players that we think can fit into this team and help us get off to a good start next year. Travis Hamannick was was an example of that. And here we are again. And it just seems whenever they get themselves right on that cusp of actually playing great games and everybody's like, well, they were playing great. Well, they were playing great after everybody had written them off. They went, what, 13, 14, and 1 when everybody was saying, oh, that's it. They're, there's no way they're making the playoffs. And it seemed like the pressure was off. They went on that wonderful stretch where they played some magnificent hockey, gave us a hint of what they can be. And then it was like, it got close again. And now when the pressure ramps up, El Foldo again, going back to the, the just awful defensive play, total lack of awareness, four guys on one side of, of the ice and leaving three on ones on the other side of the ice where they're outnumbered. And it's a great debate. And and I listened to it on the station for a little while today. Is it the players? Is it the coaching? I, I think it's a combination of, of all those things. But these guys are elite hockey players. They've been elite hockey players at every level they've played. They've probably had some great success at every level they've played. They know how to play the game. How do you not look around when you're on one side of the ice and you see three of your teammates within 10 feet of you and not figure out that the math is not working in your favor? Get liquor store guy there with the drop. Do the math. That's... Look around and see where the threat's coming from. And they don't do that. JR tweeted something at one point about, you know, it it was a a two-on-three situation for the Flames, but nobody does a shoulder check. Can't remember if they scored a goal on the sequence or they got a great chance out of it. And I said, it's Timbits hockey. Everybody's just focused on the puck, following the puck around in a pack. And when they're not following the puck around in a pack, they're blowing the zone before their defenseman has even got possession of the puck because now they got to sniff that I'm going to be able to get some points here. So their weight's on the up ice foot. Oops, D-man lost the battle. Now they're outnumbered down low because now this guy's got an extra 10 feet to make up because he's already broken out of the zone thinking that he's going to have a chance to have a scoring chance. The values of the way they play are just not good. And that's what you have to have to fall back on. Whenever you are in a rough circumstance and you're having a tough go of it, you need those fundamentals of the way you play to fall back on. So if the power play's not working, you can still be in a game. If your PK's having a tough time of it, you can still be in a game. If your goalie's having a rough night, you can still be in a game. They don't have those fundamentals to fall back on to be a tough team to play against. Tough team to play against doesn't necessarily mean just playing physical every shift. No, it's making the other team fight for every bit of ice that they're yeah. going to get and have them to make good plays to get good scoring chances. Don't gift the other team scoring chances night after night when your season's on the line. Cam, who's our winner? Congrats to Mikey McDonald. There we go, Mikey. You're off to... Uh... Rito Carlton Raceway on March 25th should be a good night. Cafe Italiano, dinner vouchers for two. Sands and Hurricanes, hopefully there's something to play for then. 
I said to myself I wasn't going to get worked up today, AJ. I like it. I like it. I was going to be like, don't be the totally negative guy. It's the aim in anybody looking at this. Fans have all the passion you want. Get as pissed as you want. That's your right as a fan. I mean, we should be looking at why this, why does this keep happening? Identify the issue and try and find ways to fix it. Well, one of the things that I said, you know, at various points this year, I don't think the defense men, right? Because we're talking about how they've played defensively in a lot of cases. I don't think the defense men on the Ottawa Senators have been necessarily a big problem especially like especially when you look down the list and, and the guys that were playing third and fourth and fifth and sixth minutes right the Hammonicks, the Holdens the Brandstroms so on and so forth I don't think that's why the Ottawa Senators were in this spot and one of the things I said was it was Partially about certain people amongst the defense to play better, most notably Thomas Shabbat, but also that if they did go out and get a top four guy, that it wasn't all of a sudden going to magically right. solve all their problems. No, no, this is this is a team this is a team issue. Yeah. And I think we've seen that on this trip, right? It wasn't okay, we got the defenseman. Everything's good now. We're all good. Well, we're seeing that's not the case because they just lost to three non-playoff teams and got blown out in every one of those games. And yeah, I know the schedule didn't do them any favors yesterday, 22 hours between starts, right? But that happens. Like you're to everybody. That that every team is going to go factor, through. You factor that into the standings that there's going to be a tough situation playing back-to-backs, especially on that western trip like we were talking about. Everybody's going to have to face a back-to-back on their Western swing at some point. It's factored into the standings. Everybody goes through it. The Ottawa Senators have played, or will play this year, 12 back-to-backs. The New York Islanders and the Pittsburgh Penguins, who are in the 8th and 7th spots respectively, have 15 each. Mm. So I don't want to hear about that conversation. Every team, and it's funny because... Buffalo went 3-1 and one in the same four-game stretch. Now, Ottawa had a five-game stretch, and certain other teams had a five-game stretch as well. But every team from Buffalo to Florida to Ottawa to Pittsburgh and the Islanders played the same four teams in order, in different orders, right? But Seattle, Calgary, Vancouver, and Edmonton. Every one of those teams. And it's interesting that Buffalo went 3-1, and one, Florida went 2-1-1, one and one, Actually, the two teams in the playoff spots right now, the Islanders went 1-3, and three, and Pittsburgh went 0-4. Mm. So, yeah, it is a tough stretch. But there's a reason you play 82 games. You, you have to find a way through it. And, and one of the things that I didn't want to hear yesterday, we get it. It, it. I know how difficult those stretches can be when you're on the road with a team and you're playing a bunch of games and you got back-to-backs and you get into a place late. And sometimes you feel like, oh, this is going to be tough to win. But you have to at least make it difficult on the other team, like you said. And the shorthanded goals and chances, to me, are inexcusable right now. 
And and to me, well, say what say what you said to me about yeah, that that and one particular, and instance. that's exactly where I was going. The most inexcusable play last night that I saw wasn't on any of the Calgary goals. It was on the play where Thomas Shabbat played. He, he was deep in the right corner. He moved it back to the right point where he was supposed to be. No one was there. Flames went down three on two, right? So you get the three on two opportunity, so be it. But then the puck goes around the net and they showed a real good angle behind the net. And then they came back out in front of the net and it was still a three on two. They're still banging away at the puck. I was trying to count the shot attempts. I think I got to four shot attempts. There was a lot of bodies packed in a little area, so the puck was bouncing off people's feet and, and everything else. But I think they got four, I think they got four whacks at it in front of the Ottawa net. And the camera in behind the net. At least three. Yeah. That camera in behind the net showed a great angle because it showed everyone coming back for the Ottawa Senators. And I saw three players coming back and they weren't putting any effort into their work back into the own zone. And and to me, that's not fatigue. That's not fatigue at all. That's, we've got one more rush up the ice in us. Because if you come back hard there, as you should, guess what? You're probably tired and now needing to go off the ice and it's somebody else's turn on the power play. That's three guys standing around watching, hoping that their goalie and the two guys back can bail them out so that they can go back up the ice and get back in on offense. That's not fatigue. That's that's laziness or selfishness, uh, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Uh, that has nothing to do with fatigue whatsoever. And it's so it's strange because, you know, probably, again, another overworked um, characterization of things. But you talk about, you know, guys playing for each other and teams being, uh, players being committed to each other. That That's, and, and it looked like, you, you saw that vibe around the whole Derek Broussard thousandth game and and uh, a bunch of different things about this team off the ice anyway. And it looks like a tight group. Then you see plays like that and you're just left thinking like, that's selfish. Like you're, you're leaving your guys outnumbered at the net for the other team to take three or four whacks at the puck. And you're coming back coasting. You should be busting your ass to be able to help a teammate out. That's leaves a bad taste in my mouth. Yeah. It's frustrating to watch for sure. And it's frustrating for the fans. I feel for the fans because they've been they've been on a roller coaster ride, right? Yeah. And it feels like just when you think they're about to turn the corner or they have turned the corner, you, you watch them play those Detroit games back-to-back and then you, you win in New York and you're thinking, okay, maybe this team has turned the corner. And you go out and beat Columbus and then you give up. 15 goals in three games to three non-playoff teams where you were blown out in every one of them in, in Chicago, Vancouver, and Calgary. And just when it think, just when you think 
they're out of it, right? I said to you, they'll probably find a way to lose in Edmonton. And then it'll be on the precipice of them being out of it and then go on a run again. And then they'll get to the Columbus game. And just when you think, oh, here we are, no. Hmm. Right? Yeah. No, it's been, it's, I can understand that. That's been the track record. Yeah, that's been the pattern. And you look at that, I mean, they came back to win in Seattle. But they wound up having to expend so much energy to do that. Yeah. When you were up 3 nothing, and this is why, folks, I keep going back to, to being able to play that solid defensive game. And I know 3 nothing leads, worst lead in hockey, the NHL's changed and everything else. You just need to make it hard for the other team. And it, and it feels like that that Seattle game, they just wound up having to expend so much energy after having a 3 nothing lead, blowing the lead, falling behind. And it's emotional and it's physical and it's all, all those things. But it feels like if you were a really competent defensive team and you got that 3 nothing lead and you were able to hang on to win like even 3-2, to two, that would have put them in a way better position going into the weekend. I also felt that when I was watching the Vancouver game, it was great to see the energy they had at the start of the game, but part of me wondered if they were that heavyweight boxer going for the knockout punch yeah. in the first couple of rounds and if they're punching themselves too tired. I just felt like watching that one that it it felt like they had that nice push to start. And then it felt like they just couldn't they they lost the they lost the will to stick with it. Like it, it looked like they were just discouraged. And look, we're we're trying here, and it's not working. And they kind of fell off. And Vancouver took over the game. But it's a hard way to win every night like that over eighty two games. Agreed. And and I think that's why you see certain teams that are built for the regular season, built for the playoffs. But you have to find a way to win hockey games and a lot of hockey games without. Your power running, play going. Without running yourself tired. Yeah. yeah. And the only way we can win is by going out and running the other team out of the rink with a four check. You have to be able to win multiple ways. Yeah. When you're a team like the Boston Bruins and you've won 50 games, you can win a lot of different ways, a lot of different styles. And that's where the Ottawa Senators have to find themselves. They can't just expect to run teams out of the building like they did with the Detroit Red yes. Wings and back-to-back yes. nights. Good point, yeah. Because, yes, guess what? The schedule does get grueling when you're on the road. And that's part of it as well. We'll take a break. More of your text throughout the rest of this hour. And Bob Stoffer will join us at 4.05 to talk about their next opponent, the Ottawa Senators. They're in Edmonton to take on the Oilers tomorrow night. As we continue with the drive on TSN 1200. So drive on TSN 1200, AJ Jakubek, Chris Stevenson, Aiden Warnholtz from the Carlton Ravens men's team. New sports uh, final eight MVP joins us at 5.05. Still working to try and get someone from the women's team join us and... Bob Stoffer at 4.05 to talk about the Edmonton Oilers. Next opponent for the Ottawa Senators. 
Can they catch a break and maybe have Jack Campbell play tomorrow night? That might help. You oh. seen the last five games he's played, <laughs> they've scored 23 goals and haven't won any of them. So that might help. Stuart Skinner wasn't exactly lights out on Saturday night. True. Yeah. Well, goaltending will be uh, part of the conversation we <laughs> have with sure Bob will. Stoffer. Oh, man. I feel like, does it not feel like the Oilers are the Senators' situation kind of on steroids? Like, a great a great couple of, of lines, offensive players, issues with the blue line forever, and always question marks about the goaltending. It just it feels like because they've got Dreisaitl and and um, that other guy at the level that they are, they're clearly more talented than anybody Ottawa's got at this point. But it just feels like the Oilers, the Senators have kind of tracked like the Oilers have in terms of the franchise issues, doesn't it? Ottawa's struggling to make the playoffs. Edmonton's trying to have, struggling to have success in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, it's... Similar themes, just on another level. They would be a frustrating team to watch, especially in the regular season. Now, to be fair, they did win two playoff rounds last year. Yes. But but for, then for you, who you have and where you are, it just doesn't seem like enough. It feels like they should be the favorite in the West, or at least like a co-favorite. And in the meantime, they're just in the middle of the pack. Right. Wide open in the West this year. It is. Wide open. And if they could get their act together, I feel like, especially with the Eckholm move, and he's been, I'm sure we'll talk about Eckholm with Bob Stoffer. he's been lights out for them since... Arriving, like no period of acclimatization, at least on the ice, it's fit right in. But again, if you can't get a save, that's highly problematic. They're going to have to roll with Skinner unless, I feel like Jack Campbell's almost in Corey Schneider mode right now. Mm. Where like you're, you're scared you can, yes. you, can you even throw him in the net? Not ideal, for sure, if you're <laughs> not, not trying I, to win not a Stanley Cup. ideal. Something interesting just came across my timeline for us golf nerds. So, like I said, that the the uh, people deep deep in deep into golf, an RNA and USGA. Joint Digital Media Conference to discuss governance topics in golf. Scheduled for tomorrow. Um, Brendan Porath, who does a bunch of great stuff with the uh, the Fried Egg uh, platform, which is principally a, a golf architecture podcast. There's no other real specifics. Maybe nothing, but seems like it could be substantial. So this makes me think of a comment that Fred Ridley, who's the chairman of Augusta National and and runs the Masters, made at last year's Masters that's stuck in the back of my mind. And when I saw the quote, I actually screen grabbed it and kept it. 
because last spring he unsolicited addressed the issue of of distance, right? That's that's the whole thing all the time. Everybody talks about in, in golf, how far the ball is going, making courses obsolete, increasing the cost of maintaining courses, all that stuff. He said last spring, we recognize this is an intricate topic that won't result in solutions overnight, and we support the level of consideration displayed by the governing bodies throughout this process. We look forward to further discussions during the comment period this summer, as well as future recommendations and the keywords and ultimately implementation. So something's, something is coming down. And whether, you know, the, the, the biggest thing that could happen would be a rollback of the golf ball. And I know I'm getting deep into the weeds, but I know there's a few golf nerds that listen. I mean, the biggest thing could be the rollback of, of the golf ball. Golf ball. And everybody talks about bifurcation, which is where the pros would play with a different golf ball than amateurs would, that they wouldn't touch the amateur game, that you can continue to play the golf ball that you love and it'll go as far as it goes and all that stuff, but that the pros might be, professional golf might be subjected to a golf ball that doesn't fly as far. So anyway, something something on the radar. And, there we go. And maybe it'll, maybe it'll come down tomorrow in time for us to discuss it on the show. But it sounds like something, something could be in the works to address it, a massive issue in golf. Well, that'll be Lever Sage and yourself tomorrow. Yes. I'll be on with uh, probably the best golf expert on this station. Sorry, CJ, you're, you're relegated to number two. Well, and hopefully the news of, of whatever, whatever this is, big or small, is out in time for you to discuss it with Brad Fritch. Yes, that'll be uh, in the box tomorrow. Brad Fritch, Kenny Walls, and myself 10 to 2, and you'll be with Lever Sage and Cam Clement 2 to 6 tomorrow. One other thing before we send it to break. Since you're talking golf, i got to give a soccer plug. Mm-hmm. How about Jonathan David and the year that he's having? Only Erling Holland. Like, there's the five big leagues in Europe. It's England, France, Italy, Germany, and Spain. There's other good teams in the Dutch League and the Belgian League and the Portuguese League and Porto, but, you know, people talk about the five big leagues. Only Erling Holland at Manchester City has scored more goals in the top five leagues in the mm. world than Jonathan David, Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. Yeah, nice. Who would have thought, eh? Had a hat trick on the weekend. And is up to 19 goals. Forget about Neymar and Messi and Mbappe. The top scorer in Ligue 1 is from Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. It's Jonathan David. So what a year he's having and probably his last in Ligue 1 because most indications are, and when you're scoring goals like this, yes. you're going to be a hot yeah. commodity. Yep. He broke Aiden Hazard's club record for most goals in a season. and. All indications, probably in the offseason, a big move to one of the big clubs in England. Fantastic. So, just great to see. And over the course, Alfonso Davies scored on the weekend. Alistair Johnston scored on the weekend for Celtic. Uh, Kyle Lahren scored in La Liga on the weekend as well. So, Canadian soccer continues to, to shine. Outside of the 
administration. The players shine. Administration, well, there's still some work to do there. A lot of work to do on the men's and women's side. Hopefully we get a deal done sometime in 2023 and preferably before the Women's World Cup. Take some text on the other side. Bob Stoffer at 405 to talk about the Edmonton Oilers as we continue with the drive on TSN 1200. It's the drive on TSN 1200. Get a couple more texts in here. Guys, the problem still comes back to the first 20 games where we went six, I guess it was seven, 12, and one. Last year we started four, 15, and one. 2020-21, we started the same way under DJ. The issue I have is I have zero confidence we will get a better start with this coaching staff next October. I, I think that's fair. That's very fair. That's the number one question. If new ownership decides to move forward with this management, and coaching group. That is the number one question. What are you going to do to make sure that you do not have another disastrous start that sewers your season by the time American Thanksgiving rolls around? They knew it was an issue going into this season and it wasn't fixed. So what I'd be intrigued to hear what the ideas are going to be to make sure that it doesn't happen next year if it's the same group. Well, and that's why, ideally, you'd like new ownership. And and if new ownership wants to stay the course with this management group, right, they're entitled to that? There's been a lot of good things that happened in terms of, of... Team building, personnel. Yeah, no matter what, right? And and here's, like, let's say, let's just say new ownership decides, you know what, we're starting fresh. I'll tell you, I know exactly what I'm going to come on the radio and say. And it's, thank you, Pierre Dorian, for leaving this group with probably one of the best jobs in the National Hockey League to come in and get this type of core and build on that. Thank you. If if that's which route they decide to go, there, there's some good things that he has done. And if they decide to stay the course, they decide, they decide to stay the course, right? Because of those good things. So, like, this is not a, a disaster. This is not a situation like, certain teams around the NHL where you're like, holy cow, that's a mess. Like Vancouver, when you took over Vancouver, and there's some good pieces there as well, like Elias Pettersson and Hughes and, you know, JT Miller's a good player. And, I mean, there's a lot that you don't like salary-wise, but I, I think that would have been a much tougher rebuild than anything you might be inheriting here. So no matter which route ownership decides to go, there's a lot to like. There's a lot to build on here with the Ottawa Senators. But I would like to see ownership have the opportunity to decide one way or the other yes. which route to go before the draft. Because if if all of a sudden 
we're talking about a situation post-July 1, or let's say September 1, where they're taking over, and the general manager has elected to keep the head coach and everything like that, well, now you put ownership in a real difficult bind if this team starts poorly again next year. That's the biggest question I have. What is your plan B if you get off to a bad start again? If it looks like you can't, you can't get off to a bad start. As soon as it looks like you're getting off to a bad start, what's your plan B? You can't afford to have that happen again next year. There are a lot of rumblings that if things didn't start well for DJ Smith this year, Mm -hmm. that they were going to be looking in a different direction. And one of the names that is out there, right, he's got a place in Ottawa, is Claude Julian. Yep. And so when they were 6-12-1, and and at this point I was overseas, I was actually very surprised, given the rumblings, that – Move wasn't made here, but they stayed the course, and to their credit, they got back into the mix. But again, when you're starting next season, especially if you don't make the – if you make the playoffs, it's different. But if you don't make the playoffs with this group, and you started 6-12-1, after you started poorly the year before, and the year before that, it's going to be a real difficult sell job for me, and certainly for a lot of the fans, to bring back the same group if you don't make the playoffs again. Yeah. We'll take a break. When we come back, CFRA news update, a quick need to know, and Bob St- Bob Stoffer from the Oilers Radio Network. Tee up the next opponent of the Ottawa Senators. Tomorrow night, AJCJ, Big Red, this is The Drive on TSN 1200.